CEO of New Your Company, and today I've got a good friend of mine with me that I'm so excited to have uh, on the heartbeat. His name is Dan Mall, and he's the co-founder of Super Friendly, which is this amazing design collaborative. They've done work with you know, everyone from Apple to Time Magazine to ESPN, kind of the dream client list. And uh, but not only is Dan just this amazing creative designer and leader of bringing creative teams together, but he also recently founded Superbooked, which is this really cool app that helps people find creative work. And so Dan's been a leader in the design field in a lot of different respects. He also runs a nine-month uh, apprenticeship program uh, to teach people you know, who want to get into design how to do so, make a career in that. He's, you know, published a book on pricing. I mean, I'm just really excited to have Dan here and to ask him this one question about leadership. Thanks, Claire. I'm ready. All right. You ready? Let's do this. So the question I'd like to ask you, Dan, is what's one thing you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? What I wish I would have learned earlier as a leader is the stigma of leaders tends to be at the top of the org chart, right? The leader is the one at the very top. And what I've learned recently that I wish I had learned earlier is that the leaders aren't the one at the top. They should be the one at the bottom. They should be the one supporting everyone else. Hmm. So I heard the analogy that like when you think about the general of an army mm-hmm. in movies, they're the ones all the way in the front. They're the ones leading the charge. Yes. But actually, generals are the ones in the back. They need to they need to have purview. They need to be able to see everything. They need to be able to support people. They need to be able to orchestrate. And I like the idea of flipping the org chart to say mm. that the leader should be the person at the bottom supporting everyone, moving the pieces up, holding everybody up if they can't, you know, if they can't support their own weight. So I wish I would have learned that the idea of servant leadership, which is becoming more and more popular now. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly new concept to me over the last couple of years. And I'm trying to learn as much as I can about it. But I wish I would have learned that earlier. Absolutely. The general metaphor in particular actually kind of hit close to home. My uh, my grandfather, actually, on my dad's side, was a four-star general in the Korean Army. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so when I think about leadership, I actually think about him first and foremost. You know, forget, you know, folks in business. I think about my grandfather. And I think you're so right that you know, we have this preconception in our heads that, yeah, leaders, they're at the top. They're, you know, the triangle's kind of like this and they're, you know, they're at the top yeah. of that chart. And you're so right, it should be flipped the other way. I think that's brilliant. So for you, Dan, was there, I mean, it says that you, or you said that you've been feeling this and learning this rather recently. So has something happened? Did you read something? Did like you have an experience with your team where you went, oh boy, like I got to start thinking about this differently? So for me, it was definitely a book that I read that I didn't expect much out of. So Simon Sinek wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last. And everyone knows Simon Sinek by his TED Talk and by his Start With Why book. And that seems to be the most popular one, um, which I read and and loved. And then I read Leaders Eat Last, and I loved it way more. Um, I hadn't heard as much about that book, so less spoilers for me, I guess. (laughs) And when I read that book, uh, just if I can give the premise of that book, it's about the physiological things that happen when good leaders enable their teams. So there's a lot Hmm. that happens in your body chemically that actually are imbalanced in typical workplaces, especially in tech. 
um, where people don't don't get the support that they need, and so they act a certain way. And so he goes through kind of the science the, of leadership and of team building and of being on a team and how good leaders can actually enable the right chemical makeup on their teams. It's really fascinating. And when I when I read that book, it kind of changed my perception of what a leader is supposed to do evolutionarily and chemically, mm-hmm. and you know things that I never would have would have occurred to me. So that book was really impactful for me in thinking about leadership. That's awesome. I've actually heard nothing but good things about the book. I've still yet to read it. Uh, obviously, respect Simon Sinek a lot. And so then, do, have you maybe sort of tried to, to put some of these practices, you know, day to day, whether it's super friendly or super booked? And I mean, and you're in a really unique leadership role for folks who don't understand the work that you do with super friendly is that these are folks who are not uh, it's sort of like the best the best of of a team that you've assembled, but they don't necessarily work for you. And yet you're the leader. And so whether it's that, whether it's in building your own piece of software, how have you tried to sort of put those words into actions or those ideas into action? So there's there's two ways, and one one comes from that, and then one comes from another book, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. So the first way is the way that I've tended to start all my projects recently is get everybody in the same room physically if we can, or if not on video chat at least, and just ask everyone what would you like to do on this project? Mm-hmm. Um, de- devoid of your role, like if you're a developer, it doesn't have to be development. If you're a designer, it doesn't have to be about design. But what what do you want to grow in? And I try to make clear that my job on the project is to help you grow in that thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're a designer and you want to learn more about Angular, cool, let's use this project as an excuse to, l- to learn Angular. Or if you're a, a producer and you want to do more illustration work, great, let's find an opportunity for this project, on this project for you to do illustration work. And my job as the director on the project or, or as the creative director or whatever my role is, is to make the space for that and make it okay if that doesn't actually work out. So yeah, you want to learn Angular. If you decide that Angular is too difficult for you or you just don't like it, that's fine. No harm done to the project. And my job is to kind of protect that. So that's that's one piece. The second piece comes from the book uh, Turn the Ship Around by David oh, Marquet, yes, which, is, which I just read recently. Um, it is an excellent book. And the, the thing that I'm trying to put into practice now is the idea that the people with the most knowledge is where the authority should go. So often hmm. leadership is flipped where yeah. authority yeah. is at the top of the org chart. And the knowledge is at the bottom of the org chart, right? The, the quote unquote, the worker bees, they have yes. the knowledge, but they're not, they don't have the authority to make decisions. So in that book, a lot of that book is about how you shift the authority to the people who have the knowledge. And David Marquet gives a bunch of examples of how he's done that being a Navy captain. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'm trying to practice more and more, which is more difficult is who are the people that have the knowledge? Mm-hmm. And then what can I do to say, no, no, you make the call and whatever call you make, I'll support you in that. Um, that's tough for me because, you know, running a consultancy, it's my name and my reputation on the line. So <laughs> yeah. it's hard to kind of, it's hard to yeah. relinquish that and say, oh, no, no, you make the call. It's, it's totally fine, especially because I'm the kind of guy who thinks that I know everything and, and I know best. So it's it's hard to relinquish that, but it's something that I'm trying out. And I mean, so far, it's been really great in the instances that I've tried it. So I'm going to yes. try to do it more and more. You, me, and everyone else, Dan, trying to to sort of relinquish <laughs> that control. It's, it is It is hard it is easy to read it in a book. It is compelling in a book, and it is so hard in practice. I want to go back a little bit, though, to what you had mentioned in the first part, which is the, the, this question that you like to ask your team before you kick off a project, which is, where do you want to grow in, right? And I, I think it's like one of the most overlooked questions for managers and leaders. And and thinking about that, you know, really the greatest source of motivation for employees is you know, them making progress on any, you know, sort of work. And so asking in what way are they going to, you know, how do they want to make progress? How do they want to grow? And in this case, someone who 
again, you're not even technically, like they're not working for you technically, right, in this situation. I love that insight. And then, yeah, you talking about like relinquishing control, like, man, I mean, why do you think it is that, I mean, you said a little bit of, you know, you have a tendency to, um, you know, not want to give up that control and, and that your name's online. I mean, what do you tell yourself in that moment where you're, you know, when you feel like, oh, do I want them to make the call? Like, should I just sort of step in? Like, what, what sort of things going through your head at that moment? So I think I've got a, a really good privilege on my side, which is that mm-hmm. I've worked on a lot of projects. So I've been doing what I'm doing for 15 years or 18 years or whatever it is. And and I've lived through every kind of project, really terrible ones, really good ones. <laughs> And the common thread is how happy we were on projects. Like that, that's mm. the thing that like, how did I feel on the project? How did my team feel? If we felt great, then it's a, success, a successful project, regardless of the quality of the work. And so I, mm. I've always thought that the quality of the work is what counts. And I think that there's a lot to be said for doing work at the highest quality or at the best of your ability. I think that's how people grow is by stretching themselves in that way. But I also think that it's about working with people. Like I don't mm. think, you know, it's, it's cliche, but on my deathbed, I'm not going to be like, Man, those Photoshop files weren't that good. <laughs> or, you know, I, I <laughs> really? Think that, you sure? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been on my deathbed, so we'll see. I'll Fingers tell you if it changes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I think that you know, like I've I've had the best time on projects when we are having the best time, yeah. and regardless of, of the work that we're doing. And then as a coincidental side effect, when we are having the best time, we do the best work. Mm. So I forget the name of the the study that they did, but I think Google's team did a study on what makes for the best teams. Mm-hmm. I think this was like five five years ago. Yep. And the thing that came out was psychological safety. Like yes. it didn't matter the talent of the team, the talent level or, or the tenure or the experience or any of that. It just matters if people feel safe on teams. Yes. If they feel safe on teams, they will do their best work, period. And it was like pretty conclusive results there. Yes. And so that I've really tried to take that to heart. Like, Let's just make a good space for each other, you know, and that includes clients. I do client service, you know, mm-hmm. let's make a good, a good space for each other. I don't want to work with clients that abuse me or my team. Mm-hmm. I don't want to abuse them. I don't want to have an us and them mentality. Like I, I know a lot of client vendor relationships start antagonistically. Like it's just, mm-hmm. oh, they're a client. They're, they're, they've they got to be bad. And I'm like, and I don't like that. You know, I, yeah. I think that if we approach it in a different way and we are more open-minded about it, we'll have better collaborations and we'll do better work together. And so I try to start off my projects, you know, I, I'm in a lucky position now where I'm in control of these projects, so I can actually shape them the way that I want to. Yes. And so yes. I find that I have the best time. And I, it seems like my teams have the best time when we start with, what do you want to do? Mm. Um, one, one last thing, one last thing yes. from that book, uh, Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. Um, there was one anecdote that he shared where there was a company that basically said, you will not get fired. Like no matter what you do, unless you do something against the code of conduct, essentially, of the company, we're not going to fire you. And, and he said that that changed the dynamic of the company so much because when somebody does poorly, the response is not, well, they're going to get fired. Mm. The response is, what can we do to enable their growth? Have they not learned a particular thing that we can get training for them? Or do they need some more support in this area? But when you take firing someone off the table, it mm-hmm. changes the dynamic of the whole team. And so that was something that kind of stood out for me was like, okay, if I think about I'm not going to get fired or I can't fire someone or this person's not going to get let go, you know, how does that change how I actually work with them? If, like if, And it really dawned on me, like, that's 
family. <laughs> you know, I can't fire my brother if I'm upset at my brother. You know, I can't fire my dad or my wife or my kids. Mm-hmm. I have to learn how to grow with them. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we're really going to talk about how to work together, like at some at some level, I spend more time with my coworkers than I do my yes. my kids, you know, some yeah. weeks. And so how do I treat them like like my work family, mm-hmm. you know, and how do I treat them in a way that respects them as people, not just as coworkers or talents or roles or whatever. And I feel like that really enables growth for them and, and for me, too. Absolutely. I mean, I think the point you make about the way that you feel about your work affecting how well you do your work, right? And if you have safety, if you have happiness, if you actually are just feeling good, that everything else falls into place. Yeah, if you don't have this anxiety that you're going to get booted. Uh, And so creating an environment like that as leaders, I I love that reminder to do that. So thank you so much for your time, Dan. This is awesome. Love getting to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, take care. 